Anyway, so let's let's move on to the next one. Uh, loads of questions in response to our reading of endnotes on non-movement or in our terms, anti-politics. Uh, we'll just select, select a couple of these. Um, Ellie Sinesh points out that the, uh, well, actually just relates some of his own experience of the crisis of representation from the ground. Now, what specifically that means is that the sort of anti-political revolt is not just something that is against the political establishment, but where you have like strong, coherent democratic organizations fighting against it, um, even supposedly oppositional or, you know, movements, parties, whatever, are themselves afflicted by this, um, well, I guess in some ways by a void, a void between the the people and the leaders. Um, and so they, uh, Ellie mentions their uh, experience with the DSA, Democratic Socialists of America, uh, where there's endless jockeying of caucuses, rising, falling, issuing manifestos, but they're all actually run by a Twitter Slack adhocracy, which is a good term, uh, in which rank and file members are a legitimation story, not a constituency being represented. Yeah, I found that. I mean, I obviously I can't speak from experience, but I found it a fascinating idea. And it sounds to me, I mean, you know, it sounds very plausible. So um, the idea that uh, that these so-called membership organizations, as um, as they say here, are just a legitimation story for these Twitter kind of online social media turf wars. It, yeah, I mean, it's all too grimly uh plausible, I think. And I imagine it's probably a similar pattern in outside of the DSA as well. Mm. Um, so move on to another question. I guess we can just take these all sort of together. Uh, Joel says, uh, organized labor's absolute decline is not a good reason to dismiss its relevance for the rebuilding of an emancipatory politics. In the context of the decimation of pretty much all voluntary organizations, the persistence of unions as the last remaining organs of mass collective agency would seem to make them more central than ever even with all their flaws and weaknesses. I have to disagree with this one. I think the, um, and quite strongly, I think this idea of that they're our last citadel to which we must rally, I think is exactly the kind of um, politics that serves to reinforce the PMC domination of most of these um, remaining unions, you know, at least in Britain. And I think it's a similar pattern in the UK. If they're, if they're not already kind of professional, effectively middle-class or public sector unions, they're um, unions that are captured by those equivalent groups at the leadership level. And I think they're indeed, you know, I mean, the way in which they're locked into the Democratic Party and also the way in which they're um, locked into the Labour Party here in the UK, they're definitely part of the problem. Um, which isn't to say that, you know, um, some of them might not be turned around and there might be shop floor insurrections or that their members indeed um, might be able to, you know, they might be able to do turn things around perhaps. But generally, I can't think of um, any particular union um, that I think is, uh, you know, with one partial exception perhaps here in the UK, that I would think is generally worth defending. They're very much part of the old order and they're coming under pressure because um, they're, they realize they have very little, very little legitimacy outside of their connections with social democratic parties. I think uh, it was very clear in the, the Brexit process how disconnected the trade union leadership was from its membership um, with pretty much, with very few unions actually having a democratic process for you know, for some sort of representation of their members' views on Brexit. Um, I'm, I'm sure I know what the partial exception that you're thinking of is there, Phil. Um, but yeah, I think it's just, it's definitely, you know, this is not to kind of um, 
or maybe the point here is that this idea of the, of the void, say this kind of hollowing out of all these kind of associative um, vehicles, you know, usually political parties are what I talked about. But it's the same is true of unions that those kind of mechanisms, which previously would have sought to have a sort of um, uh, vertically integrate members and the the representatives within union structures have been, you know, have been really really hollowed out in the past few decades. So. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> not sure I have a kind of particularly crisp political conclusion, um, but yeah, that's certainly the case in the UK. It's not, it's, it's not like it's not so easy as just to say we can just rebuild unions and then we're all fine again because that you know we weren't fine in the first place as well. I guess. Yeah, I mean, this again relates all to the kind of new agent. You know, who who would be the new radical agent today? And I think it, you know, there's. The problem that we discussed in that article in relation to that piece is this sort of desperate casting around by the left, by the postmodern left for, you know, 40, 40 years now looking for a new agent. And it often ends up stumbling upon kind of, you know, downwardly mobile middle classes supported by um, supported by the lumpen proletariat, you know, ethnic minorities fighting against racism or feminist movements and so on. And you get this sort of rainbow coalition. And of course, we know that that doesn't lead anywhere and in fact is so prone towards kind of recuperation by the powers that be that it ends up maybe playing more of a role in in sustaining capitalism and finding new ways for capitalism to legitimate itself than to providing any kind of challenge to to the way things are today so um on the other hand um on the other hand you have uh the the fact that the unions do i mean the the, the problem with unions is something is an old problem too it's not just uh, that their leadership is, you know, kind of like, oh, it's a PMC leadership. There was always a problem. There was always a radical critique of the bureaucratization of uh, unions, of the so-called labor aristocracy and so on. So I'm actually interested um, if you guys, I don't know if you have any points on this, but about how the situation with unions today is the same or is different from the critique well, made about of unions in the 1970s, for example. Well, I think the situation is, I mean, I think you're right, Alex. I mean, and it was, you know, in classical kind of revolutionary politics um, with uh, articulated in Lenin's What is to be Done, it was precisely the trade union leadership that was identified as the problem. The reformist leadership of working class politics that was precisely contested by revolutionary social democrats in the late 19th, early 20th centuries. So the fact that these, um, that, precisely this leadership has far less pull than it used to and that it can't be you know that it's it can't kind of um simply channel working class voters to um you know the parties of the organized um, center left i think that seems to be an advantage so in contrast to the listeners point that we should rally you know kind of rally around these remaining isolated fortresses i think um it seems to me the fact that we you know the fact that they might be ransacked um, doesn't seem to me to be uh, necessarily a problem from the viewpoint of uh, radical or emancipatory politics. It seems to me potentially an advantage. Yeah. I mean, I guess that wouldn't exclude necessarily having new unions formed. I mean, some union of workers, but uh, that the existing yeah, indeed. structures are... 
Yeah, I mean, some of the most kind of the kind of scrappy insurrectionist unions um, in the UK that have won, tried to organize gig workers and have won some kind of notable victories. Um, you know, they've done kind of they've had more notable victories for organized labor than the old establishment behemoths mm. like Unite and Unison and all that. Um, at the same time, though, the leadership, again, is kind of it's academics who help to organize um, immigrant workers in in their university campuses in London. And so predictably, the leadership of those unions also has all academic prejudices about the EU, for instance. So they came out in support of, um, in support of the European Union. And As so often, the, the real problem is the academics. They're, they're, they just need, we just need some fields and some sending of them into those fields. That would help everybody, I think. Mm. I see Philip is wearing glasses. That must mean, you know, he's gonna... Anyway, let's move on. Hey there, you've reached the end of a short excerpt from an episode that's been released only to our patrons. If you'd like to join us and gain access to around two Patreon-exclusive episodes a month, please go to patreon.com slash We'd love to have you.